be seated. Those scribes that like to walk around in long robes, <laughs> pray long prayers. I want to get in the front of the line at the cover dish. Yikes. Brothers and sisters, the word of God we hear this morning reminds us that the one true and living God that is revealed in the Bible, from the Torah, the first five books of the Bible, to the prophets, to the writings of the Hebrew Scripture, to the Gospels, and to the letters of the New Testament, is a God who cares deeply, personally, and intensely. He cares deeply, personally, and intensely about each one of us in this room. I want you to hear good news this morning, brothers and sisters, is that whatever your struggle is today, and all of us bring some struggle into this place, many of us are weighed down. Some of us have a hard time sleeping at night. God sees, and God knows, and God hears. And the God who sees and knows and hears is the God who acts on our behalf. The God of the Bible is a God who is particularly concerned with those who find themselves on the margins of life with little or no resources of their own. And at his inaugural sermon in the synagogue in Nazareth, Joseph, uh, Joseph, yeah, it, should be, it could be Joshua, but not Joseph, Yeshua, Jesus, chose this text from all of the scriptures. This is the text that Jesus chose from the Old Testament when he began his ministry. It comes from the prophet Isaiah. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. He has sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to preach the gospel to the poor, to heal the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovery of sight to the blind, so to set at liberty those who are oppressed, to, acclaim, to proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord. God's story is woven with the theme of tender care for the poor, tender care for the brokenhearted, the prisoners and the oppressed. And that is good news to all of us this morning because left to, to our own devices, even the most comfortable and affluent among us are, as Jesus said to the comfortably affluent church in Laodicea, we are wretched, pitiful, poor, blind, and naked. We see God's care for those on the margins in the readings that we heard this morning, particularly from, uh, from the book of Ruth and from Mark's gospel. And it focuses, those readings actually focus on three of the most marginalized people that we can find in the words of Scripture, and that is widows, Ruth, Naomi, and then one unnamed widow in Mark's gospel. Now, when we think about widows in our contemporary context, we think of their state as sad because of the loss of companionship or perhaps financial hardship that comes from widowhood. But in the ancient Mediterranean world, widowhood wasn't just sad, it was a complete socioeconomic disaster. In that world, there was no social security. Nobody in the Bible had a social security number. There was no safety net for the poor or the dispossessed. Becoming a widow meant that the rest of your life would be, in the words of Thomas Hobbes, solitary, poor, nasty, brutish, and short. 
The widow had no husband or father to provide for her. She could not earn a living. She had no protection. She had no social standing. She had no value in that society. But here is God's good word that comes to us from the scriptures today. The God of Israel, the God who spoke to Moses on Mount Sinai, the God who gave us the Torah, that God who came to us in Jesus Christ is a God who sees and cares for the widow, the orphan, and the alien. Immigrant. Foreigner. Do you remember the story of Hagar in Genesis? I, I hope you do. I hope you've read your scriptures. You know the story. Hagar, the servant of Sarai, became pregnant by Abraham at Sarai's insistence. Abraham was Sarai's husband, or Abram was Sarai's husband. And she did, Sarah couldn't, couldn't, Sarai could not conceive, so she had Abraham sleep with her servant woman in order to conceive a child that would be counted as Sarah's lineage, Sarah's heir. And so when that happened, strangely enough, household friction ensued. Can you imagine that? They just didn't, they didn't have Dr. Phil to help them with this kind of stuff. So Hagar began to look down on Sarai who could not conceive. Sarai, who is later named Sarah, on her part became jealous and began to mistreat Hagar. So Hagar fled into the wilderness and was liable to die, but God intervened and God cared for her and blessed her and the son she was going to bear. And after that encounter, this is what the scripture says about Hagar in Genesis chapter 16, verse 13. She gave this name to the Lord who spoke to her. You are El Roi. El Roi. You are the God who sees, listen, you are the God who sees me. For she said, I have now seen the one who sees me. God is a God who sees. Unlike the deities of the ancient Near East, the God revealed in the Torah is a God of compassion and tenderness. The gods of the ancient Near East thirsted for the blood of innocence. But the God revealed in Torah is the God who sees and acts on behalf of the widow and the orphan and the foreigner. The scripture says in the Torah in Exodus chapter 22, you shall not mistreat. Listen, this is, this is Old Testament. Right? Oh, yeah, that God in the Old Testament, he was a mean God. Oh, he was so wrathful and mean, spiteful. Finally, we got Jesus and straightened God out. No, this is what the scripture says. This is the God of the Old Testament. You shall not mistreat any widow or fatherless child. Listen to the compassion. Listen to his passion for the widow and the orphan. If you do mistreat them and they cry out to me, see, they don't have any defender. They have no recourse. There's no advocate for the widow. There's no advocate for the orphan in this, in this period. This is what will happen. If you do mistreat them and they cry out to me, God, the advocate of the poor and the widow and the orphan, I will surely hear their cry. I will hear their cry. As a matter of fact, you know what the, uh, the name of Hagar, who named uh, God the God who sees, her son's name is Ishmael, and that means the God who hears. The God who hears. I will surely hear their cry, and my wrath will burn, and I will kill you with the sword, and your wives shall become widows, and your children orphans. The Lord, the scripture says in Deuteronomy 
chapter 10, verse 18, the Lord defends the cause of the fatherless and the widow, and God loves the alien. Yeah, that's what the Bible says. Giving him food and clothing. Again, Deuteronomy, Old Testament, chapter 24, verses 17 through 20. Do not deprive the alien, the, fa the foreigner, the immigrant, or the fatherless of justice, or take the cloak of the widow as a pledge. Remember that you were slaves in Egypt, and the Lord your God redeemed you from there. That is why I command you to do this. When you are harvesting in your field and you overlook a sheaf, do not turn back and go back and get it. Leave it for the alien, the fatherless, and the widow, so that the Lord your God may bless you and all the work of your hands. Your blessing is dependent upon how you treat the widow, the alien, and the fatherless. And in the story of Ruth we just heard, read this morning, we see the protection and provision of the God who sees on beautiful and dramatic display. Now the lectionary text unfortunately skips over much of the story. What we didn't hear this morning was the account of Ruth's first encounter with Boaz. In chapter 2, she goes out to the fields as a poor gleaner. And Ruth finds herself gathering the gleanings in the field of Boaz who honors the Torah's teaching on care for the poor that we just heard read out of Deuteronomy chapter 24. But more than that, Boaz, keep, Boaz keeps not just the letter of the Torah, he keeps the spirit of the Torah. And so in Ruth chapter 2, verses 15 through 17, as she got up, Ruth got up to glean... Boaz gave orders to his men, even if she gathers among the sheaves, don't embarrass her. Rather, pull out some stalks for her from the bundles and leave them for her to pick up and, not re and don't rebuke her. So Ruth gleaned in the field until evening. So in this passage of Scripture, Ruth and Naomi, two, two poor, dispossessed women find protection and plenty. They find protection and they find abundance because of God's word as it is lived out in Boaz's life. This is God's word in action. Even in a culture that did not fully honor and esteem women, that was not a hindrance for, God, for the God who sees and the God who acts. God cares for, God delivers Naomi a widow, and Ruth, who was a foreigner and a widow. She had two strikes against her, and she wasn't just any old foreigner. She was a Moabite woman, and the Moabites were not friends of Israel. He does this by, listen, his, first of all, God does this by his sovereign, that means his, his independent, unrestrained will. God's ruling, almighty, unrestrained, independent will. God's sovereign providence. The Bible says in Ruth chapter 2, verse 3, that Ruth just happened, Ruth happened to find herself gleaning in the field of Boaz, the kinsman of Naomi. This was not planned by her or by Naomi. It was God's sovereign shaping of circumstance. And God also does it, listen, not just through providence, but through 
the revelation of His Word. It's because Boaz honored Torah and its commands to care. God, Boaz honored God's Word. Now I'll just stop right there. It is really hard to honor God's Word if you don't know God's Word. Brothers and sisters, I am convinced that much of the reason that many of us have a hard time not just living the Christian faith, but finding the Christian faith plausible is that we are not saturated with the living Word of God. Do, except for Sunday morning, is the Word of God a part of your life? If you're not reading the Scriptures every day, you're going to die spiritually. You're going to wither on the vine. You need to have God's Word implanted in you day by day. If you can't read a chapter a day, read a verse a day. Just start somewhere. We've got a little handout in the back and here in the hallway, five ways to, hear, to, to read God's Word. We need to be reading and saturated. We need to marinate in the Scriptures. I mean, you need to, you need to just be all juicy with the Bible. I mean, you need to be brined in the Word of God. In the Word of God. Just think about that turkey you're going to brine. It's just going to soak and get all that goodness soaked up into it. You need to be just as permeated. We need to be just as permeated with God's Word. Boaz honored the revealed Word of God. He was led by the revelation of God's Word. And it is because Boaz honored the Torah and its commands to care for the poor and the foreigner that Ruth and Naomi find the provision they need. We will see the impact of God's Word on society if we are a people who are steeped in God's Word. Even if even if observant, believing Christians only count for 25% of the, of the population, can you imagine the impact that we would have if we truly knew and honored God's Word in our culture? We all need the care and protection of God. We all need a loving community governed by the revealed Word of God to uphold us, and may God make this church to be the society like that. Ruth and Naomi are cared for and blessed because in their community and via the covenant faithfulness of Boaz, they have come under the protection of a society ordered by the chesed, the loving kindness and covenant faithfulness of God. At this, Ruth bowed down, Ruth chapter 2, verses 10 through 12. At this, Ruth bowed down with her face to the ground. She exclaimed, why have I found such favor in your eyes that you, Boaz, notice me, a foreigner? Boaz replied, I've been told all about what you have done for your mother-in-law since the death of your husband, how you left your father and mother and your homeland and came to live with a people you did not know before. May the Lord repay you for what you have done. May you be richly rewarded. Listen, this is the key verse. May you be richly rewarded by the Lord of the, the God of Israel, under whose wings you have come to take refuge. In a community that is, that is following Torah, that is steeped in God's word, we come under the very refuge of God. Our hearts should sing with God's love for the foreigner, the immigrant, the alien, the widow, the orphan, as we read this passage. Our hearts should be filled with joy and gladness at the love that is expressed in the life of Boaz and Naomi and Ruth. This, in fact, is one of the most delightful little books in all of Scripture. I hope you go home and read the whole thing. It'll take you 30 minutes. We should rejoice 
with the women of Bethlehem because of God who sees and acts in covenant faithfulness on their behalf. The women of Bethlehem saw and understood that it was Israel's God who saw Naomi's distress and acted to save her and Ruth to overcome bitterness with blessing. To overcome bitterness with blessing. This is what the scripture says, Ruth chapter 4, we just heard it. Blessed be the Lord who, is not le- who has not left you this day without a redeemer. And may his name be renowned in Israel. You shall be to, he shall be to you a restorer of life, a restorer of life and a nourisher of your old age. For your daughter-in-law who loves you is more to you than seven sons has given birth to him. And from that lineage of Ruth comes God's beloved, King David. And from David comes our Messiah, Jesus, son of Mary. So, beloved, since from the, from the line of Ruth and Boaz, the Messiah has come to us, we all have been saved, not just, not just Naomi, not just Ruth. We've all been saved and blessed because God has acted, He has seen and acted on behalf of Naomi and Ruth. And we could end the story right there, and that would be great. Because it's beautiful. But contrast Ruth with the gospel reading. In Mark 12, we encounter other widows. And instead of being protected and provided for by those who are entrusted with power, those who are the stewards of God's word, they are plundered in the name of religion. The passage begins with Jesus' indictment of the scribes. The scribes were experts trained to exegete and to interpret the Torah. But unlike Boaz, who cares for the poor, like the law says, the scribes actually used the law as a means of serving themselves. And as he taught, Jesus said, watch out for the teachers of the law. Watch out for the scribes. They like to walk around in flowing robes and be greeted in the marketplaces and have the most important seats in the synagogues and the places of honor at banquets. They devour widows' houses and for a show make lengthy prayers. Such men will will be punished most severely. And in in the context of this condemnation of the scribes and their practices, we actually encounter another widow. Listen to what it says. Let me just remind you of what we heard this morning. Jesus sat down opposite the place where the offerings were put and watched the crowd putting their money into the temple treasury. Many rich people threw in large amounts, but but a poor widow came and put in two very small copper coins worth only a fraction of a penny. Calling his disciples to him, Jesus said, I tell you the truth, this poor widow has put more into the treasury than all the others. They gave out of their wealth, but she, out of her poverty, put in everything, all she had to live on, all her livelihood. Now, brothers and sisters, preachers, we preachers, who are experts in God's law and wear long robes and pray in public... We love to use this story to rev up the congregation for the annual stewardship campaign. Did you notice that that didn't happen in October this year? Don't worry, it will. (laughs) We like to say things like, well, we all need to follow the example of the poor widow. Here's someone who knows how to give till it hurts. 
But if we read the story in the context of the gospel passage we just heard, watch out for the scribes. They devour widows' houses. That's the passage that's right before the passage about the widow putting in the two little mites, the two little coins. If we read that story in its context, I want to suggest that we find that preaching about stewardship is exactly not what Jesus is talking about in that passage. While Jesus is definitely honoring her sacrificial generosity, he is also bringing under judgment the corrupt religious system that ignores God's law and plunders poor widows. Here is exactly what he was condemning back in verse 40. But there is good news for this woman. Israel's God, what do we know about Israel's God? He is the God who sees and he is the God who acts. God is not deaf, God is not blind, and God's arm is not shortened so that he will not act. Malachi the prophet foresaw the very moment that we read about in Mark's gospel this moment. This morning, this very, the very moment of the, of the Lord coming to his temple. This is what Malachi says. We're going to hear this again during Advent. And the Lord whom you seek will suddenly come to his temple. And the messenger of the covenant in whom you delight, behold, he is coming. This is a reference to the Messiah, says the Lord of hosts. But who can endure the day of his coming, and who can stand when he appears? For he is like a refiner's fire, and like fuller's soap. He will sit as a refiner and purifier of silver, and he will purify the sons of Levi and refine them like gold and silver, and they will bring offerings in righteousness to the Lord. God in Jesus Christ has come to his temple, and he sees what is going on in, the, in his name. God notices. All through the story of Israel, God has seen and God has acted. Way back in Exodus, Exodus, Exodus chapter 3, God sees and God acts on behalf of his people when they are under the yoke of slavery in Egypt. This is what it says. Then the Lord said, I have surely seen the affliction of my people who are in Egypt and have heard their cry because of their taskmasters, I know their sufferings, and I have come down to deliver them out of the hand of the Egyptians and bring them up out of the land to a good and broad land, a land flowing with milk and honey. Brothers and sisters, I want to, do, I want to encourage you to do something this week in your prayer time. Um, if whatever the burden is, you know, um, someone. This actually came out in in, a, in a, one of the sessions at Synod uh, the, when we all gathered with our annual meeting of the whole diocese this past week. Um, someone stood up and said, "You know, uh, um, uh, Naomi. Naomi says, no longer call me uh, Naomi. Call me Mara. Mara means bitterness. Bitter. It means bitter in Hebrew. Call me Mara." For the Lord has dealt bitterly with me. And somebody stood up and said, wouldn't it be great to have a mother-in-law who called herself bitter? No, that's got to be horrible. Ruth's mother-in-law names herself bitter. In your prayer time, wherever that bitterness is, 
where you felt like the Lord has dealt bitterly with you. Listen, take this to God in prayer and, and just pray God's word back to him and say, God, the scripture says you are a God who hears and a God who acts. Lord, I want you to be God in this area of my life this week. God sees Naomi and her bitter loss, and God sees Ruth and her homeless poverty, and God provides a redeemer. And in the gospel reading, the Lord comes to his temple and sees the widow's plight. He sees her very living being taken from her. The word living there, or her livelihood, is actually translated from the Greek word in Mark's text as bios. It's where we get the word biology from. It means life. So you could actually translate this, translate it like this. She has given up her very life in the temple. She is giving her whole life to the corrupt religious establishment. But God has seen and God will act because just like this widow, the incarnate God will give his whole life in self-offering to the Father. Nailed to Golgotha's cross, Jesus gives his whole life under the oppression of that same corrupt religious establishment. When those powers, but when those powers and those principalities that seem to have gotten away scot-free and their abuse and oppression get a hold of Jesus, they have encountered something that they did not bargain for. Because God in Christ has entered into his people's suffering, he overthrows not just that religious establishment, but the very powers of hell itself. So maybe you've had times when you've felt like Naomi. Don't call me Naomi, she told them. Call me Mara because the Almighty has, de has dealt bitterly with me. One of the things I think we need to lay down at the foot of the cross, I think this is particularly important as we come to the end of this passage, this end of this sermon. Um, we need to lay down our impulse to read life negatively. All right? You're, we are in a very negative time, a very bitter time. And brothers and sisters, I want to encourage you that that's not the God we read about in Scripture. We need to lay down our impulse to read the world negatively. Instead, we need to speak the truth about God. God is good and God loves me. God is good and God loves me. God sees and God acts on behalf of his people. When we face these bitter times, we need to come back to that truth. Could Naomi even imagine in her bitter loss the great blessing that would come to her because of God's faithfulness? God sees and knows and enters into our weakness and our poverty. Blessed be the Lord who has not left you this day without a redeemer. And may his name be renowned in Israel. He shall be to you the restorer of life. We have a redeemer. We have one who restores our life. His name is Jesus. And he has seen and he has acted and he has saved. In the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit.